Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. And I'll be reading from the message. I, Paul, together here with Silas and Timothy, send greetings to the church at Thessalonica, Christians assembled by God the Father and by the Master, Jesus Christ. God's amazing grace be with you, God's robust peace. Every time we think of you, we thank God for you. Day and night, you're in our prayers as we call to mind your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in following our master, Jesus Christ, before God, our Father. It is clear to us, friends, that God not only loves you very much, but also has put his hand on you for something special. When the message we preached came to you, it wasn't just words. Something happened in you. The Holy Spirit put steel in your convictions. You paid careful attention to the way we lived among you and determined to live that way yourselves. In imitating us, you imitated the Master. Although great trouble accompanied the word, you were able to take great joy from the Holy Spirit taking the trouble with the joy, the joy with the trouble. Do you know that all over the provinces of both Macedonia and Achaia, believers looked up to you? The word has gotten around. Your lives are echoing the master's word, not only in the provinces, but all over the place. The news of your faith in God is out. We don't even have to say anything anymore. You're the message. People come up and received us with open arms. How you deserted the dead idols of your old life so you could embrace and serve God, the true God. They marvel at how expectantly you await the arrival of his, of his son, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescued us from certain doom. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Aaron, for that reading. Please pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. Okay. Alan told me this is helpful, so I'm going to share it with you. I'm a huge Doctor Who fan. <laughs> I, I am going to spare you from years of sermons inspired by Doctor Who, but I promise you I am tempted regularly. Here's the thing that's true about Doctor Who. In the newer version of this show, the TARDIS has been broken, right? Or at least that's what everyone believed. Because the doctor, in um, directing his spaceship, his time and space travel ship, um, would often set coordinates for a destination and then arrive somewhere else entirely. It's a cliche. The doors of the TARDIS open and the 
doctor and his companions, his fellow travelers, stumble out of the ship and they look around and are almost immediately surprised <laughs> by something they were not expecting to see. Usually, it's exactly the opposite of what the doctor just told them they were going to see <laughs> before they left the ship. This is a little bit of a spoiler. But some seasons ago, a discovery was made. It turns out the navigation in the TARDIS has never been broken. But the TARDIS is not just a machine. The TARDIS is a life force. It is a beating heart. It is not necessarily conscious in the way that we think of AI, where you can put in instructions and get a response. But it has a deeper kind of knowing, a deeper kind of communicating, a gut-level orientation. The TARDIS loves. The TARDIS loves. And so when the doctor and his companions found themselves surprised about where they ended up when they were trying to go one place and stumbled out somewhere entirely different, it was because the TARDIS was listening to a different set of directions. The doctor and his companions thought they knew what they wanted to see next, what would be good for them or fun or educational. They thought they knew where they needed to go in order to be helpful. But the TARDIS was following a different set of directions. It had a different way of knowing. And it landed them where they were longed for and where they longed to be. What do you long for? Where do you long to be? We all have our own TARDIS inside. As much as we concentrate on being conscious and informed and making reasoned decisions, and that is important, we have more tools than that at our disposal. We have a heart and we have a gut which scientists say actually gives us all kinds of information about our surroundings and about our well-being and our safety. We have more than just what we are conscious of. We have deeper ways of knowing. We have another way of being oriented, too. What do you long for? Where are you longed for. When there's something that connects with our gut love, with our deep wiring, with that sense of our orientation, we know because it shows up despite ourselves. We can tell ourselves not to think about it. We can tell ourselves that some other task is more important. We can um, try to do our deep breaths and put uh, all around our pillow the scent of lavender, but despite ourselves, we will lie awake worrying, right? Or we will find ourselves doodling 
or maybe online scrolling. <laughs> Something will come and supersede the best intentions of our mind, our conscious sense of direction, and keep asserting itself. We know that we are entangled with something that is important to us. We know that we are entangled with something important to us. And this is a beautiful thing, and it's a beautiful thing to recognize in other people. When people wish for you to be safe or not to take risks, it may be because you are important, because they care about you, and the thought of you coming to harm is distressing. When you feel like you just want to stop by and check one more time to make sure that that thing is put away correctly or that everything is in order. When somebody who has a church key and has had a church key for a long time just drops by just to check, it's a sign of a kind of gut love for community and place. Right? We find ourselves drawn toward that which we love and long for, almost despite ourselves. Sometimes it's hard to recognize that. Maybe somebody has told us we're wrong for loving what we do. Maybe uh, our kids don't like it when we worry about them. But we can't help it. We know. We know what we long for. We know what we love. And it changes the way we behave in the world. We are drawn to do for that which we love. We are drawn to do for that which we love. It is not hard to give a gift to someone you love, whether it's a gift of time or non-judgmental attention, whether it's the gift of prayer, always being back there somewhere while we go about the rest of our day in our minds and in our hearts. It is not hard to do for someone we love. In fact, we even may fashion our habits around being available for something or someone we love. I grew up before streaming television, right? So I remember the family rituals that could happen around a favorite television show that we'd all watch together, right? You may have other habits like that. Certainly the holidays come to mind with all of their traditions and rituals, something that we long for and want to be close to. We set aside attention for and As the seasons change and we draw near again to that time, we are reconnected with all of those urges and longings and habits. We may even find that we imitate that which we love. The favored um, kind of expressions that people say, whom we care about, we may find we adopt into our own vocabulary, or habits we learned from a beloved grandparent or other mentor find their way into our work. It's been observed that um, perhaps the reason I get so much joy from biking around Concord is because the Reverend Dwight Haynes was one of my mentors, and he famously biked always and everywhere. We begin to imitate elements of that which we long for and love. 
And so it becomes habitual to practice love, to orient ourselves in what we do and the rhythm of our lives toward that kind of gut love that inspires us. So much so that we may find ourselves, like the doctor and his companion, stumbling out of our time and spaceship to be surprised where we ended up. I thought I was going to do this series of things today, and then I ended up doing this series of things. Why might that be? Maybe it's because we are what we love. Maybe it's because we are what we love. It's true that sometimes, sometimes, even though the TARDIS itself may not be broken, we may find ourselves in a stage of life where we are relying on a map or a compass that is not true. We may have found along the way that something about what we longed for or who longed for us was taught to us as wrong or bad. We're not supposed to enjoy what we enjoy. I think oftentimes of people who were told not to sing out because their voices weren't good enough or because their pitch was not accurate. Or the many, many, many of us who have stopped drawing because sometimes in childhood we were told that what we thought we drew could not be seen. <laughs> Maybe we were told at some time to orient ourselves towards something different. Maybe we're being told actually every day in many, many ways to love something different, to be more practical, to be more forward-thinking, to get ahead, to compete, to substitute. Something that's acceptable or purchasable for what we deeply long for. That's true, that can happen. And so from time to time, we have to adjust that compass again. We have to redraw those maps. This becomes a space, this worshiping community, this place of faith becomes a space where we can check in with each other and test those compasses and test those maps and practice here where we have no agenda but to love as the one who loved us into being. We can trust each other to give each other that sort of feedback, that reorientation, that what we have longed for since the beginning at the deepest level is the one who taught us how to love, who loved us before we knew anything of this world. This is a powerful force. The, the man who wrote The Little Prince, if you know that book, I'm gonna to try to say his name, but I don't speak French, so here we go. Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, the person who wrote The Little Prince, said this, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. When we do this right together, we find ourselves in a community that is always looking for new and creative ways to orient 
toward the source of our love, that which we long for more than anything else. Yes, we can get caught up very easily in tasks and work and trying to collect wood and trying to make sure that we were getting to the place that we thought we needed to go many years ago when we started this journey. But if we remember to long for the sea, to long for God at the root of everything, we will be able to respond and adapt to the feedback that we get in spaces like this, to what we find when we step out of the TARDIS and see where we have landed. This letter um, that we're going to be reading during this series, First Thessalonians, I want to have read to you from the message. I don't usually invite the scripture reading to come from a paraphrase, and the message is a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson of the Bible text. I don't usually choose a paraphrase to be read aloud in worship, but for this series I am because Eugene Peterson is doing a really good job with this letter of capturing some of that gut and heart depth behind the text. The enthusiasm and delight that he feels, the happiness that Paul shares just sparkles, I think, in this paraphrase a little bit more clearly than it would otherwise. And that's important because these are some of the first letters of Paul's that we have in the scripture. Paul is newly in love with God. This God that he thought he knew his whole life, he's fallen head over heels for all new. And he shares that happiness, and he shares that love, and he loves those who also love God. And you can hear that bubbliness in this translation of 1 Thessalonians, how much he loves sharing this with them, this renewal of their following of God. We need renewal here too. And I think it's a good time for us to hear this kind of passion and excitement about following God that Paul has in this letter to the Thessalonians. Where we go for renewal is that spirit of longing. We, don't, we are not strangers to it. In fact, Wesley is a reconciling congregation. And even though that movement has been around for some time, it's possible that we may have missed what it is at heart about. It serves as an excellent example of the kind of recalibration and renewal we're talking about. The reconciling movement is about the kind of creativity and adaptation that is possible when you are oriented true north toward the love that called you into being and calls us all into response. It is not just about saying that because of love we're gonna accept people who are different. It's about recognizing that people who love differently have something to show us about what love really is. This is an encounter we've already had in this church and there are more to come. And so as we go through this series together, I want to invite you with me into the spirit of excitement 
and longing, into listening to those heart feelings and those gut feelings, into opening the question in our minds. What am I doing with my time? What do I long for? If I am what I love, what does that mean? This is a journey of spirit and prayer. And so let us go together on this adventure as one team, as one family, as fellow travelers. Amen.